listening to Opening Doors to Hope and Belonging from DePaul Community Resources. This is episode two of season two, and I'm your host, Allison Wickline. Thank you for joining us as we learn and grow together. Emily Moore is my guest for this episode. She is a regional recruiter for DePaul, and she also leads our legislative advocacy efforts, which is what we will be discussing here. Emily, welcome. Thanks for having me, Allison. So I think the big question is, what is legislative advocacy and what does it look like at a nonprofit like DePaul? So legislative advocacy, using a broad definition, is the effort to change policy in local, state, or federal government. It's quite literally using your voice to make a difference or a change. At DePaul, we have a committee of staff that's charged with keeping DePaul informed and engaged in state and federal policymaking that affects our organization, the way that we deliver services and the service delivery within our field, and how it affects those that we serve. So our committee members in the Legislative Advocacy Committee keep up to date on bills and budget amendments that are filed during the General Assembly session, and we monitor partner organizations like Voices for Virginia's Children, Virginia Networks of Private Providers, and the Arc of Virginia to ensure that our advocacy efforts are aligned with our partners in the field. And so each year during the General Assembly session, we spend our time communicating with our state delegates and our senators to educate them about the impact that the bills and budget amendments that are going through the session will have on the human services sector and again, those individuals that we serve. And in the past, we've been able to organize advocacy days in Richmond at the General Assembly session. But of course, as with everything, COVID has really changed that this year. So our advocacy efforts will still happen this year. They're just going to look a little bit different and way more virtual. Why is legislative advocacy so important, especially at DePaul with the people we serve? So as a nonprofit human services organization that serves some of the most vulnerable populations in our communities, legislative advocacy really is one of the cornerstones of the work that we do. At DePaul, we are 98% government funded. So that means that the majority of our services are paid through Medicaid and other state and federal funding like CSA, uh, the Children's Services Act, or Title IV-E from the federal government. So the distribution and amount of funding that's decided for the services that we're able to provide is really decided at the General Assembly level by our state legislators. They kind of make those budgets determine how much it's gonna go to DBHDS services or DMAS services or DSS services. And since we are under that umbrella, we're kind of at um, the helm of what these legislators decide where the funding can be spent. So with there being many competing interests for funding at the state level, um, it's really important that we spend time educating our legislators about the needs of the folks that we serve and the folks that are receiving human services in our communities. Oftentimes we find that they don't know a lot of this information. We really do kind of bring to light the issues um, that we learn on the front line that they don't necessarily see. And so we spend a lot of time teaching them about the people that we serve and the people in our communities that really need services that are funded by um, those state and federal uh, funding um, streams. Yeah, I think one of the best things about legislative advocacy, in my opinion, is it takes an issue that our state representative may be considering or may at least know a little bit about and really puts a face or a name or, you know, it puts a story with that. Yes. And that's really important because you can talk all day long about what this is going to do to the state of Virginia. But when you have an individual come or a family come to the legislator's office or meet with them virtually and say, this is my story and this is how 
I have not receiving services has impacted my life or how, you know, being able to receive these services thanks to the funding that was provided has impacted my life. Hearing those stories and seeing real faces, like you said, and real stories to kind of go with these bills and budget amendments is an important part of this work because it's so easy to just kind of sweep that under the rug if you don't really understand the impact. Well, the 2021 General Assembly session starts next week. What are the issues or items that you all are watching that would affect the people we love and serve? So this is going to be an interesting session. Uh, It's kind of a carryover from the 2020 session in a way. Um, In the original 2020 session that happened in January of 2020, we made historic investments in human services. And when it came to the bills and budget amendments being passed and the budget being signed uh, in March, we were really excited to see where things were going to go. And then COVID hit. And we had to, the um, General Assembly had to come back in the session, really change that budget. They took a lot of funding out of the budget because they had to prepare for how um, our state was going to be impacted. Most of our funding in the general fund comes from taxes. And so if folks are at home and they're not out, spending money like they would be, our tax revenue is going to be impacted. And so they had their General Assembly special session. They added a few more um, of that that unallotted funding. They added some things back in, but it still wasn't enough. And so this year, uh, now here in 2021, this next General Assembly session, now that we have a, a better forecast of what the state revenue is going to look like as a result of COVID, it's really going to be a chance for us to advocate for keeping things in the budget that were previously introduced and working to make sure that we're filling in the gaps where they need to be. So when Governor Northam announced his proposed budget, uh, his proposed amendments to the biennial budget, we were pleasantly surprised, and the upcoming budget that we're going to be reviewing, we were pleasantly surprised that he did reintroduce some of those investments that were previously taken out of the budget due to COVID. But as usual, the budget still falls short in investing in Virginia's children, families, and people with disabilities. So We've worked as an organization to develop some of our advocacy priorities alongside our partners that I mentioned at Voices and VNPP and the ARC. So we've kind of broken it down into two our two divisions, our Child and Family Services Division priorities and our Developmental Disabilities Division priorities. So I'll start with our Child and Family Services Division. And honestly, some of these priorities overlap as well. Uh, but in regards to Child and Family Services Division, where we serve children in foster care and families in crisis, We're advocating to keep investments that were made in the governor's proposed budget, like funding to implement the Family First Prevention Services Act, which will help with preventing children from coming into foster care and providing more comprehensive services to families in crisis. Um, Funding to implement an emergency approval process for kinship caregivers. Virginia falls drastically behind other states in keeping children connected to their biological families. And so we need uh, an emergency approval process to be able to do that, to keep children with their kinship families as opposed to a non-familial foster family. And also investments in childcare, which we're seeing is a a huge need with the COVID-19 pandemic. Families trying to juggle working or returning back to work, children doing virtual learning from home or a hybrid model at school. Childcare is a huge need and we're falling behind in that as well. And then an enhancement to our behavioral health system to help families in crisis and individuals with mental health needs. So those are the things that we want to keep in the budget. The governor in his proposed budget has put funding for that in place and we don't want anybody to tinker with that. In addition to that, we want to amend the governor's budget 
to create funding for a statewide kinship navigator program. This program will support kinship caregivers in the foster care system and helping to identify kin for children that are coming into foster care, either to prevent them from coming into foster care or to place them with a kinship family once they come into care. To prioritize children in foster care for child care assistance, Again, we have a huge need for childcare, especially right now with the pandemic. And oftentimes children that are in foster care have an even greater need because they kind of are hanging in the balance. And so um, prioritizing children in foster care to be on the priority list for children getting childcare is really important. And then requesting the Commission on Youth to study workforce outcomes for youth in foster care. Virginia continues to rank 49th in the state, or yeah, in the country for uh, youth aging out of foster care without a permanent connection. And so the outcomes for these kids are oftentimes not great. We don't have a lot of data on that. So the Commission on Youth uh, is hopefully going to be able to do a study of what that looks like so that we can put better services in place to support youth as they age out of foster care. So those are kind of what we're focusing on in our Child and Family Services Division. For now, anyway, there's probably going to be many bills that are added um, over the next week before the General Assembly session starts. So we're going to keep our eyes out and see if there's anything else that we need to keep our eyes on there. But those are our main priorities for, for children and families. In regards to our Developmental Disabilities Division that serves children and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, there's also some investments that have been made by Governor Northam that we want to keep in the budget. And those are adding an adult dental benefit to the Medicaid services. Um, most of the individuals would have to have a separate dental plan. And so adding dental benefits into Medicaid is a part of healthcare. So we are advocating for that. Increasing the DD waiver rates for community integration services and this is something we could spend an entire podcast on, but the way that, that Medicaid waiver rates are set is going to be um, an issue as the minimum wage starts to increase because we are not going to be able to keep up with paying people to provide services as the minimum wage increases in other sectors because our rates are set by Medicaid. We don't set our own rates. And so we would like to advocate to increase those waiver rates for those services to be able to pay people appropriately to get these services. And then funding 250 additional DD waiver slots that were unallotted at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. We already have a shortage of DD waiver slots as it is. And so to take an additional 250 away from the original amount really um, will be a burden on the individuals that are waiting for these services. So to amend the governor's budget, we are asking that they fund priority one on the DD waiver waitlist, which is something that we ask every single year. This is oftentimes a legislative priority that stays pretty consistent. There's currently about 3,500 people on the priority one waitlist that are waiting for necessary services. And so um, we always ask it, and it's a big ask, it's about $30 million um, of funding that would be needed to fund that priority one waitlist. But we are taxing our current systems by not providing people the services that they need. And then the other is to end the inclusion penalty, which is again related to rates. Uh, supported living is a service that could provide um, community support to an individual in a home of their own choosing, as opposed to them being placed in a group home. But the group home rates are higher than the supported living rates. So individuals are oftentimes pushed into group homes as opposed to supported living because agencies can't afford to maintain supported living programs with the current rates. So they're calling that the inclusion penalty because instead of having people being able to live a life like you and I live in their own homes and their community, they're being forced into smaller institutionalized homes like group homes. Um, and so that's a big priority this year. And then the DD waiver rate rebase will completely adjust um, the DD waiver rates to um, account for the impact 
that minimum wage increases will have over the next few years. So that's where we have our focus on. It sounds like a lot to keep up with, but we have a lot of eyes in, in the different places across um, our partners and the, the sector to make sure that we're advocating for the things that are gonna best serve uh, the folks that are receiving services through our Child and Family Services Division or our DD Division. With those items you all are following, what will the process or the timeline be like, or do we even know what that will look like yet? So this is something that is kind of set in stone. The legislative process is pretty straightforward, but I will take a bet that it's still going to be an unprecedented session. So the General Assembly session is going to um, convene on January the 13th. And I think that everybody in the legislative sphere right now is kind of gearing up and figuring out how are we going to navigate an all virtual session. Um, the, there will be no in-person budget hearings or in-person meetings. Everything will take place virtually, which poses its own issues in terms of technology and connectivity and what that means. It also means that we have less access to our legislators. We used to be able to go to the Pocahontas building and schedule appointments with them in time to talk about bills and budget amendments, but there won't be the time to do that this year. In addition to it switching to an all virtual session, it's also going to be an even shorter ses session than usual. A typical short session um, in an odd year is 45 days. This one will only be 30 days. And so we have 15 days less than usual to complete the full budget process. So the way that the, the budget process really kind of works and where we fit into all of that is it officially starts on January the 6th. And so we had budget hearings on January the 6th across the state in which the legislators heard testimony from their constituents about any amendments to the budgets that people um, were suggesting. A lot of folks joined in and told their stories. Again, storytelling is really important when it comes to legislative advocacy. So a lot of folks told their stories related to either waiting on a DD waiver wait list for 15 years or not having the you know, services they need in the home to be able to keep the child, their child in the home with them. And so they had those budget hearings. And from the budget hearings, once the General Assembly convenes on January the 13th, each chamber, both the House and the Senate, will begin reviewing Governor Northam's budget, as well as reviewing any budget amendments that are introduced um, regarding a lot of the things that we heard during the budget hearings and those items that I mentioned we were going to be following. Um, and lobbyists and people like that join in and, and propose bills and budget amendments and find senators or um, House delegates to be able to kind of chair those bills and budget amendments. So they will take those all into the subcommittees that are established within the General Assembly. Um, and each subcommittee is established for each functional area of government. So what that means is I'm going to use health, welfare, and institutions, for example. That's a really important committee that's related to the work that we do. If there are bills introduced about child welfare, they're going to go to that health, welfare, and institutions committee to be heard. So we want to make sure that we're focusing on the people that are going to be hearing the bills and budget amendments that impact our services so that they know how to vote on those bills. So once those subcommittees make recommendations, they are then reviewed by the money committees, which is really where all of the work happens, because at the end of the day, this is about money. It's, it's about services and it's about people, but at the end of the day, it, it boils down to money. And so the, the money committees will make their decisions and then each chamber decides on the budget um, for their chamber, for House or the Senate. And then it happens, then what happens is called crossover. The House reviews the Senate's budget, the Senate, Senate will review the House budget, and then ultimately what is customary to happen if the Senate will um, reject the House's budget to form what's called a conference committee. The conference committee comes together and resolves any difference between the two budgets, and then the final budget that they develop will be sent to the governor's desk for review. 
So all of that to say, that's a lot to happen in a typical 45-day session and even more to happen in a 30-day session. So we expect it to be rushed. Um, there are rumors that there's likely going to be a special session again this year. So our legislative work will probably continue throughout the calendar year where usually we're able to kind of take a little bit of a break between sessions. Um, so for our legislative committee, what that means is we're gonna be following all of the relevant bills and budget amendments through the various stages of the budget process and advocating as appropriate to our legislators in the House and the Senate regarding anything that will impact human services in Virginia. So it's going to be an interesting next 30 days. <laughs> well, thank you so much for providing that information for me and our listeners. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for the work that you all are doing. Absolutely. We think it's really important that folks understand how the inner workings of our system happen. And so we encourage any of our providers that are interested in advocating and telling their stories to reach out to us as well, because I think there's room for any storytellers and foot soldiers in this work. Opening Doors to Hope and Belonging is hosted by DePaul Community Resources, a nonprofit organization. Since 1977, DePaul has opened doors to hope and belonging for countless children, families, and individuals with disabilities across Central and Southwest Virginia. To learn more about DePaul and the topics discussed here, please visit depaulcr.org slash opening doors podcast. <laughs>